Hello, listeners. You're tuning in to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. This summer, we took a hiatus from publishing new episodes, but thanks to the brief pause, the Leadership Under Fire team accomplished a lot. So today, I'm going to bring you up to speed. First up, leadershipunderfire.com has a new look and features. The website redesign couldn't have come at a better time because we're now ready to offer digital access to the 2019 Leadership Under Fire Summit. Each year, Leadership Under Fire hosts a national summit aimed at optimizing human performance. The 2019 summit was held in March in Annapolis, Maryland. The event explored resilience at the individual, team, and organizational levels. It was designed for emergency responders, military leaders, and operators, athletic coaches, performance coaches, mental health professionals, and leaders in high-risk or highly competitive industries. I moderated the summit conversations, which featured guests such as Brendan Cauley, an FDNY firefighter and Black Sunday survivor, Dr. George Bonanno from Columbia University and the author of The Other Side of Sadness, What the New Science of Bereavement Tells Us About Life After Loss, Jen Baker from Johns Hopkins University Athletics, Chief Warrant Officer 5, James Russell, a retired member of the USMC and Chicago Police Department with four decades of service. Dr. Preston Klein and former U.S. Navy SEAL officer Coleman Ruiz, the co-founders of the Mission Critical Team Institute, and Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek, authors of the New York Times bestseller, Indianapolis. The digital summit package includes more than eight hours of audio recorded live from Annapolis, a copy of the Resilience Workbook, show notes, recommended reading, and more. Here's a look at some of the highlights. Welcome everyone to Annapolis, Maryland. Here's a question I want to pose to you. What happens when we play to win and lose? It was a bad situation. So the boss started to give the maydays and I knew now this was, uh, this was really bad. I couldn't go into a corner and hide or, or, or walk away from this. I, I felt like I had to do this, you know, I, I, and I wanted to also, that's for sure, I wanted to. This is always a little tricky for me to talk about when we know that there are some people who cope better and, and poorly with stress. And that has to do with people's life stories, past histories, with a lot of things. And those are kind of difficult things to know off the top of your head. But there, So there are people who are less equipped to deal with stress. Part of this process for us is we have to allow ourselves to experience the negative with the understanding that we're going to take a step forward and we're going to reframe it and we're going to shift kind of what we're feeling physically or mentally that may be negative into a more optimistic outlook. As you're moving yourself up in the chain of command, doing the right thing gets tougher and tougher. But as long as you have that as a, as a fallback position of your understanding what you need to be doing, it, it, because that's your number one responsibility is to do the right thing. All of you have a legacy, and the great thing about having a legacy is that it's your tradition. The problem is a legacy is meant to be a launch pad, not an anchor. If your legacy is telling you we can't do that because that's not who we are, you're dying. What is actually happening with the human factors of this system that you have? 
I don't think that there's any kind of a prescription that works for everybody other than to develop and thoroughly understand what your own ethics are. I think history has taught us that we can come back. If I were to summarize the last two days in one sentence, it would be with this. We get to decide if we're going to become a victim of our experience or a survivor of our experience. Don't miss out on the opportunity to learn from these accomplished and resilient thought leaders and operators. To sign up for access, visit leadershipunderfire.com and click on the Premium tab to create an account. Group rates are available. Keep in mind, Leadership Under Fire will be hosting events in the next few months. A leadership development course on the farm in Western Maryland taking place October 13th through the 18th an LUF Human Performance Tactical Fire Seminar in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania on Saturday, November 9th, and a Leadership Under Fire Human Performance Thought Leaders Retreat in Brooklyn, New York in February 2020. For more information, visit leadershipunderfire.com. Don't forget, whether you're tuning in for the first time or have been following Leadership Under Fire since its inception, there are several ways you can keep up to date with the team. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can subscribe to the Leadership Under Fire newsletter to get the latest information from the team. Go to leadershipunderfire.com to register for that. Since you're listening to the podcast right now, please be sure to subscribe, rate us, and share the show. Leave a comment or email us. We appreciate hearing from you. Last, but certainly not least... A new episode is scheduled to publish in two weeks. This will be the first of a two-part series exploring the life and legacy of FDNY Captain John Vigiano. Captain Vigiano was a resilient leader dedicated to a life of service. On July 8, 2018, he passed away after a long battle with cancer, but left behind a far-reaching legacy. Captain Vigiano was a former sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps. Prior to his enlistment in the Marines, he enlisted in the New York National Guard at the young age of 15. He eventually joined the FDNY in 1962, working his way up to captain at Ladder Company 176. He retired one of the department's most decorated fire captains after 36 years on the job, a tenure spent entirely in Brooklyn. Aside from his impressive professional record, Captain Vigiano was most proud of his family and the paths his two sons chose. John Jr., an FDNY firefighter, and Joe, an NYPD detective. Captain Vigiano and his wife, Jan, lost both their sons on the morning of September 11, 2001, an unthinkable tragedy which they were able to transform into continued service. To honor their sons, they worked tirelessly donating their time and resources to improving the lives of Gold Star families and our nation's post-9-11 military veterans. In the fall of 2015, Captain Vigiano sat on a risk and resilience panel in Bowie, Maryland, at a Leadership Under Fire conference and spent the evening candidly reflecting on risk and resilience. In this series, you'll hear some of that discussion, as well as from nearly a dozen people who knew him best and were impacted by his leadership. Here's a glimpse at what's to come. Well, I said it before, it starts someplace. 
and it's usually the way you're brought up. Not only did I work in 120, but I kind of grew up there. My dad worked uh, there for many years. And then the uh, the icing on the cake was John Vigiano was there. My early memories of Mr. Vigiano were growing up on the football field in Knights of Columbus. That's what I remember as a younger kid, just being fearful. I guess that was probably instilled the respect for authority growing up that way. I was blessed. I mean, I was just out of high school, went in the Marines. First job that came along, I was a fireman. I always had somebody telling me what to do. The years increased with the fire duty. The more fires I went to, the better I got. The more I learned, the more I taught people. He had a passion, truly a passion for teaching people. He often would say to us that one of his primary missions as a fire officer was to teach the rest of us how to be officers. So you learn from experience. You learn from your mentors. And that's really the essence of the fire service. John's the type of person that we all kind of shared. He could just connect with you and talk to you. And, he, and even though he was like the old school, hard charger guy, his son, John, who was the fireman, would kept calling me and uh, saying that it was his birthday. You got to bucket him, do whatever. And I don't know how it took off from there, but it was definitely a lack of judgment by carrying out the act. Upon achieving the rank of chief of operations, I often think about John, you know, when I'm making decisions and what would John Vigiano think or what would John Vigiano do? Honestly and truthfully, I think the biggest part of my job as chief of operations is to be able to communicate leaders' intent. And John was really, really good at that. I came into the office, and he told me, and I uh, picked up the desk lamp, threw it into the wall, and a short while later, he kind of grabbed me by the neck, and he said, take whatever time you need to grieve, and uh, that grabbing of the neck was kind of both comforting and both leading at the same time. The mission comes first. If you train your men, they'll execute the mission. thinking of Joey and Johnny because like I said Joe, Joey's a year younger than me and Johnny's a year older than me you know so we were all and Johnny and I actually lived at college together in the same uh, dorm hallway 9-11 came they were doing what they wanted to do they were going to work to the biggest job in New York City there was a chief at the trade center and uh, John's two sons are missing. You know, they, they knew there was no hope for them. And there was a chief that I guess John didn't really have a lot of respect for. And uh, he saw John and he walked up to John and he was crying, the chief was. And he said to John and, and, and Bitch is kind of in that moment, he's kind of like, get a hold of yourself. You know, he's like, Pat. And the chief said to him, so John, John, your kids, your kids. And John just snapped at him. He goes, I got a hundred kids in there. Like, compose yourself and go to your job. And I said, man, I said, that's when you talk about putting family first and, and a guy who just, who had just more courage than anybody really ever knew. Obviously, he was down there with us pretty much the whole, up until May. You know, we, we were there, if not, you know, every day, every other day. I, maybe being so stoic and, you know, losing two children and still positive and still performing and still encouraging and you know I, I still remember one time I was having a tough day down there and you know he just sat next to me he started BSing you know a couple jokes a couple
couple good memories, you know, and, and, and he just, you know, he said, we got to do this for them. It sounds a little contrite, but family values. And again, it's how you take what was given to you and what you make out of it. My grandfather was able to fill the gaps that my mother was not able to, just as being a man. So every Monday night, one of the things we would do, we would go to Boy Scouts growing up. You know, I lost two sons, and I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't a, a minute that doesn't go by that I don't think of them. In particular, my uh, grandfather was big on making sure the everything was good before you left the house between, you know, your kids and your wife, or, you know, from my case, a girlfriend or a mother and just saying, you know, I love you, and, you know, just you never know. And I think with the events that took place, it really sent that home and how true that can be. There was a tremendous emotional balancing act that Captain Vinch navigated in the years following 9-11. Shortly after the wars had started, made his first trip to the Army's hospital at Walter Reed, and then the Navy's medical facility at Bethesda, merely to offer his gratitude firsthand. He always had that ability to be looking and seeing who may not be noticed and who might be in the most pain because ultimately that's what he beelined for. He could see it in the hospital rooms and you know I know that he would always bring along some of the best people who could create laughter but it was the way that he held his presence that was so important. In true Captain Vigilic fashion he instantly made an impression not only with the wounded troops but the hospital staff serving as you know the, the ultimate ambassador for the FDNY, the NYPD, and New York at large. And he was so well-received, and he, he was so encouraged and inspired by what he saw there in those young men and women who had been injured that he thought it important to, to organize more trips. Many of us know John didn't do anything without Jan, or at least if Jan wasn't there, she was always in full support, and she shared that man with an entire nation. Many of the wounded troops at Walter Reed and Bethesda at this time when asked, I mean, across the board to a T, when asked, why did you go? They pointed to the morning of 9-11. And he here's this this individual, this this figure who who's a, a symbol of all that was lost that morning, but yet he comes as an ambassador to show his appreciation. And probably even more importantly, he comes as a beacon of hope. Amongst giants, maybe whether they're significant political figures or leaders, military leaders, rock stars, movie stars and actors, John was the one that the room would turn to. He had this incredible ability to make you feel like you were the only one in that room. He exuded a positive energy and a sense that he held all of us to a high standard of being ready to go to work at all times, always being mindful of the team and always being able to pass on our experiences as we go through our career. He talked about that a lot. His greatness is still among us. There are times when I just think that greatness has gone on, but I know it hasn't. But this is what he would always say, that on that day of so much bad that happened to our country on 9-11, that he wholeheartedly knew that more good came from that day than bad. And I think that that's just an incredible reminder of what he lived his life for, what his wife did, what his family did, and how he shared that and shared that opportunity with all of us. You lose your kids, you say the world is over. It could be. If I stood up here and I whimpered and I was crying, 
You people that start to get teary-eyed and say, ah, oh, he's an old fool. I cannot be any less than my sons. They were brave men. They lived a good life, short life, but a good life. My wife and I vowed that we would continue to do that. If that's the definition of resilience, then we have it. Please note that proceeds from the 2019 Digital Summit Package will be donated to the Captain John T. Vigiano FDNY Family Transport Van. During the series, we'll explain more, but you can go to firefamilytransport.org slash donate at any time to give directly. That brings us up to speed. Looking forward to the future. Be sure to stay tuned.